I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. Hello, Screenwriters Rant Room listeners. Once again, I am interrupting your usual podcast to bring you a special deep dive into The Mandalorian, a show I am completely obsessed with now having seen season two. Um, So you're not going to get any Hilliard this episode. No Chris Derrick. It's just going to be me, Linnell White. Um... I'm a TV writer living and working here in Los Angeles. Some of you guys have heard me on the podcast uh, before. And, you know, last time I talked about The Mandalorian, it was literally a year ago, episode 333. And I just talked about the first four episodes of season one. And I kept promising that I would come back and finish that up. And it just, it just, I, it took me, it's taken me a while, guys. I'm sorry. And I apologize. But, um, yeah, so I'm back, and we're just going to talk about The Mandalorian Season 2, mostly. A little bit of Season 1, the rest of Season 1 that I didn't talk about last time. So we're going to talk about The Mandalorian Season 2, um, and I'm going to try and focus on some of the story things that they do that I just think are so spot on and so smart. And yeah, that's really it. I'm, I just love the show. Um, but you might be wondering, okay, well, Linnell, if you love the show, what took you so long to come back to us and do this recording? And, you know, uh, a couple of things. I am not personally a fan of hot takes. Um, they tend to be, a hot take to me is like when people throw things, throw meat on the grill, right? And it sears on the outside really quickly, but on the inside, the meat is raw. That's what hot takes are to me. And there's a lot of hot takes running around on social media, um, so when the show, when season two aired last year, I, I, I just don't, I, do, I tend not to watch things when they're in the zeitgeist and people are tweeting about it. I just don't want my, my perception of the show influenced too much by what I might see on Twitter or some spoilers or some memes or whatever. So I kind of just wait to watch it and then I could form my own thoughts on it. But yeah, hot takes, I'm not a fan of those. I like to let stuff, I like to watch stuff and let it marinate, make sure it's well seasoned. Make sure that there are no raisins in the potato salad, etc. Okay, um, yeah. And uh, to be honest, I've been watching some other stuff. There, you know, Marvel had uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. They had Wandavision. You know, I was watching Ted Lasso. I found The Good Fight. Highly recommend The Good Fight. It's on Paramount Plus. Um, let's see what else I watched. I watched Only Murders in the Building. That was pretty good on Hulu. I watched the show. Um, on Apple TV called Physical. It's about the eight, like this woman who's like an 80s aerobics instructor. And I thought that's what all the show was only going to be about, but it's about more than that. Like her, it's about honestly, um, a woman coming into her own power because her husband is kind of a, you know, anyway, 
anyway, watch it. It's pretty good. Uh, and I, I, you know, I watch some docu-series and I watch a ton of tennis. I'm obsessed with tennis. So, and I went to a couple tournaments and watched live tennis. So yeah, tennis takes up a lot of my viewing time. And again, like I'll be honest with you guys too. Season one, I, I liked, I enjoyed. Was it perfect? No, but I was like, this is the nice, comfortable, episodic, you know, episodic action show that's in the Star Wars universe that I was enjoying it. But I was scared for season two because I had been burned by Star Wars in the past. Um, you know, some of the sequels, this, you know, episode seven, eight, nine, I just didn't feel connected with those. And I had, and I, there was a point where I said, I've got to let Star Wars go. I said, this is not for me anymore. This is for some different generation. It's not for, not for me, um, what they're doing. And so I, some of those movies, I said, well, I've, I've got to let it go. So I was worried about the Mandalorian. I was worried that season two was going to be, you know, um, not as good as season one. And I was flat out wrong. Season two was amazing. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about it. Uh, maybe this will help you guys too, because even though I'm you know, late talking about the show, um, the book of Boba, Boba Fett is, is coming out at the end of December, I believe December 29th. So you could listen to this and this will give you kind of like a summary of like what's happened on Mandalorian. And then you could bounce into book of Boba Fett at the end of December. So there you go. Um, uh, but let me just say this. So there are a few things I want to talk about in season one. I don't want to get into too much detail with the four episodes I didn't talk about last time, but there's a few things in, in, in season, second half of season one that I want to mention because these guys, and when I say these guys, I'm talking about John Favreau. Um, I believe his name is Dave Filoni. Uh, yeah, I think it's Dave Filoni, who was someone who, who worked on the animated Clone Wars for years. And everyone involved with the show, all the directors, I don't want to list them all. You can look on IMDb and you can see all the directors involved with the show, all the actors, everyone involved with this thing. I can tell when, I'm when I was watching season two, I was like, these guys not only love Star Wars, but they understand what Star Wars is. So I'll talk a little bit about the second half of season one and some things that were set up that we then paid off in season two because we're all screenwriters out here. And one of the things that we need to be well-versed in doing is setups and payoffs Int like layering in characters layering in stories I see so many so much tv sometimes they throw in like these characters are just appearing in this episode all of a sudden because you need them to appear for the story but you didn't really plant the seed earlier like Ted Lasso season one does a really good job of this for example there's a guy that's a street player like street he's playing street music I don't you know like kind of a scruffy looking guy that Ted Lasso keeps walking past for several episodes. And then I think around like episode four or five, he gets brought on stage because Robbie Williams can't come do the show. And so they get that street performance. I was like, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Like don't have everything just sort of happen at once. It's like layers. And I know it's hard because some of us are in TV rooms and we're not the decision maker or whatever, but think about these things going forward when you get your own show, layer in characters, layer in plot. It doesn't all have to just, boom, happen at once. So anyway, so second half of season one. So there's, it's, the show is broken down to chapters. Each one has a title. So chapter five, The Gunslinger, right? And I'm just going to point out a couple things because now Mando's got the child and he's <laughs> making his way through the galaxy with this child, but he doesn't know how to handle a child at all. So 
he lands on, I believe it's Tatooine that he's on, um, and he leaves the kid in the ship, like alone. He just he doesn't know, okay. And and then I think the maintenance lady like gets the child. Or oh yeah, this is the episode where it was like this wannabe bounty hunter was like, I'll bring you on this job, and and so anyway, we meet Finnick Shan this episode. So we you know we set up that character. And then it's also set up that after she gets shot by the, the wannabe Han Solo, Bounty Honey, or whatever, um, we just see a figure come and save her, you know? So that's there. That's, in, that's middle of season one. So, so we set that up. Chapter six, The Prisoner. Um, again, we need, a, we, need a, we need a character named Mayfeld. And we're supposed to do this sort of prison heist thing. We've got to go get a guy out. Okay, fine. It's, you know, a heist. This episode is a heist. And a lot of these episodes... To be fair, The Mandalorian is a show where it's like, we got to go do the thing, but before we do the thing, we got to go do this other thing first to get to do the thing. Fine. I'm fine with that. I like simplistic storytelling. Everything doesn't need to be the twist to the double cross, to the backstab, to the, you know, I don't, I, I don't need that. Especially in this current present day. I like the simplicity of it. And if you sit and think about Star Wars, it has always been simplistic. It is I've got to go save the girl from the Death Star. Um, you know, we've got to blow up the Death Star again. <laughs> or, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's never, be, or I've got to go learn the ways of the Force. It's never been like this really complicated plot line, which I think is why it's just so comforting and we all kind of love it. So anyway, we meet this guy, Mayfeld, played by Bill Burr. And... You know, they got to go, they got to go break, break into this prison ship and get somebody out. Side, side comment. Um, the chick who has the long floppy horns. I mean, she kind of has the hots for Mando and I can't say that I blame her anyway. So anyway, so in, in this, uh, this episode also reinforces that Mando just does not trust droids. He's still on that. I hate droid stuff. Um, cause there was something, I can't remember they, they were going to bring a droid with, Oh, bring a droid with them or some, some, no, the droid was flying the ship is what it was. He had to hand his ship over to a droid and he is seething, just seething about this. I'd love to finally see the backstory of why he hates droids so much, but I, I was just, anyway. So, and then we get, the, we had this great in exchange while the droid is flying the ship and they're all planning the prison, like going through the plan on how they're going to do this prison heist da, 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 in the back. And Mayfeld is like, Mando, I want to see you without that helmet on. Let's all see your eyes. That's the dialogue. Let's all see your eyes. And I'm just like, okay, hang on. Like, now that I've seen season two and I'm like, oh my goodness, they always call back to stuff. It's so great. So hang on to that. Let's all see your eyes. And it's coming from Mayfeld. Right. So then um, they get on the prison ship and there's, they're expecting it all to be droids running this prison ship, but there's one human and there's sort of this like guns pulled on everyone because of course Mayfeld and company want to shoot the, hum the, the, the new Republic guy that's running the ship. And Mando is literally like trying to talk them down. We're not here for you. We're not interested in you. Um, just everybody just be cool. Like, let's not shoot this guy. We don't want this kind of heat. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, isn't this some, some evolution with him? Because when we first meet him, chapter one, it's you, you know, I can bring you in cold. I can bring you in warm, warm or cold. I'm a bounty hunter. I don't give a damn. I shoot people and put them in carbon freeze. 
or some combination and I keep moving. And now I have a man here who's carrying a baby around the galaxy and also considering, hey, I, we don't need a, this guy. We, we don't need to shoot this guy. I don't think old Mando would have really bat an eyelash like, okay, we got to go do a thing, get this guy out of here or whatever. So he's changed and I appreciate it. Um, and I'm trying to think uh, anything else in this episode that's kind of like, oh yeah. Well, the other thing is like, this is like his old crowd. It's like some of these people knew, knew Mando, like I said, girl with the long horns, uh, clearly has had the hots for him for a while that she's hanging on to. And so there was some other, some other dialogue where it was like, oh, this used to be his old, these used to be his boys. This used to be his crew that he wrote with. He's not interested in rolling with this crew no more. This guy's changed. He's not interested in these same old things, these same old jobs. He's somewhere else. He's, he's like, I'm about this kid. Cause even so much that at the end of the episode, he gives the kid a little yellow, uh, the little metal ball, like unscrews it and gives it to him. All right, so chapter seven, The Reckoning. Um, we gotta go back to Navarro. Um, he, and he also recruits some the, like the Nick Nolte character that helped him out earlier. And that guy makes a floating, the Nick Nolte character, I wish I could remember the name, I'm sorry. The Nick Nolte character, you know, the short little guy with the, the big eyes. Turns out it's the same character that we saw in Empire, just side note, like same character we saw in Empire. Do you know the part where um, they're on Cloud City and 3PO's been shot to hell, he's in pieces and there's this, there's these little guys in a like a furnace area and they're throwing pieces of C-3PO around. That's the same species of creature here with the Nick Nolte character, which I, I should know. I should have looked up, but I'm sorry, y'all. Um, anyway, so he asked that guy to make a floating bas bassinet, like something softer bed. I'm like, he's thinking about like the kid, like, oh, he needs a little softer bed. I'm like, hmm, okay. Um, I'm trying to think what else happens. Oh yeah, so they've got a there's some secret base and, and it's like Carl Weathers and Cara Dune recruit him to hey come help us take out this this secret base and on the way there um um like there's a firefight and you see Mando protect the kid kid can heal Carl Weathers' arm after this gets burned and we square off we end up squaring off with Moff Gideon. Um, and we get the, he means more to me than you will ever know speech. Hang on to that. Cause that's, you're going to hear that again. And what I, if I put my producer hat on, what I find intriguing about the show and smart about the show is how they figure out ways to revisit or, and reuse sets. So this season is kind of bookended with Navarro. It starts on the planet Navarro and then we end up coming back to Navarro, um, you know, at the end here for these last two episodes. So think about that when you're like trying to save money, you don't have to keep going to 18 different worlds. Um, yeah. So then chapter eight is redemption and they're pinned down by, um, they're pinned. Well, I think, I think the whole point of this, of this whole end of season one was like, we're going to use the kid, but we've got to draw Moff Gideon out. Otherwise you guys will keep chasing after him. So we want to take down Moff Gideon. And, um, you know, so chapter eight, redemption, they're cornered in this like bar or whatever. Oh my goodness. And then we get Mando's name. Like Moff Gideon says his name. His name is Din Jaren. It's like, wow. Okay. He has a name. Great. Um, and we get clarification on the fact that Mandalorian is not a race of people. It's a creed. 
And then we have all this great flashback stuff of what happened to him as a kid. And he was saved by the Mandalorians and he was a foundling. So now I'm like, okay, well, that's why he's connecting so much with this, this child that looks like, you know, baby Yoda is because, you know, he was a foundling, you know, he was, you know, in a similar thing. He was a found, you know, he was a lost kid. Um, and then with this flashback, you know, it's like little young man, I should say young Din Djarin is hiding in the little bunker. His parents say a tearful goodbye. It's almost like Superman-esque. Like, you know, they put Superman in the beginning of the movie. They put him in his little, you know, spaceship and they launch him. And I have the same question for that as I do for this. Like, okay, why didn't you just go to? So like little Din Djarin is in the bunker. Why, parents, why didn't you just hide down there too with him? But I don't, I don't know. Anyway. And we come back in, and we're still squared off with Moff Gideon, but Mando gets blown to hell and back, right? He's out there, and he's doing his thing, and they freaking blow him up. And he's got a real bad head injury, and he's going to die. But he's like, saved every, he tells the others, like, Carl Weathers and Cara Dune and uh, the IG droid, which he hates, hates, save the kid, get the kid. Get the kid out of here. That's the priority. And Kara's like, even Kara's like, oh, let me take your helmet off so I can save you. And she's and just like, he's like, no, give me, give me a warrior's death, like a Klingon or something. Today is a good day to die. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was really, it was really like a little bit. And I'm, I'm trying to mix Star Wars and Star Trek together, y'all. I don't need to, don't, don't tweet me, don't come at me. But I'm just saying, he had this whole like, I'm gonna die here. This is the way. And so they all, the rest of them go, and it's just IG-11 left with Mando, and Mando's kind of like, just do it. Take me out. I'd rather you shoot me than some freaking imp stormtrooper. And the droid is like, I'm going to take your helmet off. Mando pulls a freaking gun. Oh, it's forbidden. No living thing has seen my face since I took the creed. And the, the IG is like, well, actually, I'm not a living thing. So we have this technicality and then the helmet just sort of comes off and we see his face for the first time in like eight episodes. And I'm going to sit here and say to all of you guys that I, when I first saw this, them removing the helmet, I was like, this is a mistake. Y'all messed up. You shouldn't be showing his face. Let this man live his creed in the way he's supposed to live. Um... And I have to confess that I came into this show, season one of Mandalorian, I came in ice cold. Uh, I didn't know the actor. I didn't know Pedro Pascal's work really at all. I did not watch Game of Thrones. I did not watch Narcos. And you might be like, how? How do you not watch these? Um, I do not gravitate towards shows with gratuitous violence or repeated scenes of, of violence against women or subjugation of women. Um, the, these are not the things that I want to see in my, in, in my off time. So, you know, there's, and there's a lot of tropey stuff that goes on in these, these types of shows where it's like, let me show you how bad the villain is by killing an animal or raping women or, or raping animals and killing women or maybe both at the same damn time. I mean, they're just, you know, this is, this is the thing they want to do. It's like push your buttons and be like, look how bad the villain is. And I just, I don't want this type of content. Um... And I would say to, you know, all the white guy showrunners out there, do something else. Do something else. Do something else besides these tropes that you keep throwing out here. But, I, okay, in fairness, I have gone back and watched season one of Narcos. And it's, it, it, it's, 
it's interesting. Um, but yeah, I didn't know this guy's work. I really didn't know what he looked like. And I didn't, I didn't, more importantly, I did not want to know. I just wanted to watch the show and be entertained. I felt like me seeing his face and he was all messed up. He was all banged up. He looked a mess. It just sort of took me out of it, you know, and I didn't want to know who, I didn't want to, here's the thing for me. I was treating the show like a, you know how when you read a novel and you're imagining what the characters look like? And then when the movie comes out, you're sitting there and you're like, well, that doesn't match what I had in my head. So I didn't want to see his face because I was imagining what this guy looked like underneath the suit. And now you've kind of like uncovered it. And now there's no more mystery for me. Um, yeah. So I was kind of, I was kind of annoyed about, you know, that it's like, why do that for 20 seconds? I'm just, I'm just not seeing it. What's the point? And uh, yeah, I mean, and the voice work was so great. you know the voice work that Pedro Pascal is doing is so great it's a performance it's not just some guy he's it's a real performance it's really good I had the character I had between this you know all the actors in the all different actors in the Mando suit and the voice work I had the character so I didn't need to see his face so I was like ah you guys what are you doing um but I was wrong and I've since come around and I'll talk about that later so I was wrong I'll admit it it works now that now that now it's one of my favorite scenes now I go back and look at I'm like oh so, and also the helmet coming off in front of this droid, it's like, this is the first real adjustment of Mando in terms of his creed. Like he's so hard line in the beginning and this is the way. And, um, but his interaction with this child, like he just seems to be adjusting, shifting. He's a little bit more flexible. It didn't seem like he totally consented to the helmet coming off because the droid was just like, I'm not a living thing. And then it just started coming off. And I'm like, wait, he didn't consent. It's a little, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. But OK, so we saw his face for 20 seconds. Um, and then we, we get, you know, we find Welder Lady Mandalorian. And she's like, she, you know, she's like, hey, you got to take this kid to the Jedi. They used to be our goddamn enemies. Like back in the day, they're a bunch of sorcerers. But Per the creed, this is a foundling, you're responsible, you know, get him. And Mando gets his jetpack, which he hadn't had all season one. Gets a little jetpack action. And he gets a little signet on his shoulder for all his, like, you know, good, good work and living in the, living up to his creed and stuff. And then the ending. This man who repeatedly has said, I hate droids. More importantly, I got a real problem with this particular IG-11 droid. He's, he not only has the guy, has the droid saved him, but then that same IG-11 droid sacrificed himself in the blaze of glory and makes it so that they can escape. Um, yeah. So it's like they kind of set up so a journey f- with him, even with this, with this droid situation that he hated IG-11, he hates droids. And then because of the droid's actions, now Mando's like, oh, okay. All right. A little different now. Just a evolution that's all i'm gonna say and then um mando uses his rocket pack that he just got gets up there takes out gideon uh thing crashes mando heads on his way we we reveal the dark blade you know that gideon has the dark blade when he slices his way out of his tie fighter that's crashed and that's the end of the season i'm like okay this is a good season guys this is good this is good great now season two when I tell y'all that I fell even more in love with the show, season two, I mean, 
I, I, I don't even have the words. I don't even have the words. Um, all I'm gonna, and I'm gonna try not. I'm gonna try not to swear in this in this <laughs> podcast. But I will. I'm gonna. But one's coming up. So if you got kids, like remove them for the next like uh, thirty seconds, or whatever. I have never. It's been a long time since I watched a show, and there have been so many just oh shit moments where I'm literally having to pause and rewind. Like oh shit, no, they didn't. Oh shit, this is happening. And yeah, it's just, I just love it so much. Anyways, and, and why do I love it? Um, well, I've always loved Star Wars. Um, so much so that, you know, some of you guys know, like my previous career, I was a pilot in the Air Force. I mean, a lot of that came from watching Star Wars and Star Trek. And I was like, well, how can I be my own personal version of Han Solo? You know, and so I went out and I, I did the thing. But we have to sit and ask ourselves, because we have a lot of people on the internet talking you know, a lot of threads and hot takes and tweets. I have to sit here and ask, well, what is Star Wars? What is it? Is it the worlds? Is it the technology? Is it the religious aspect, like the force? Or what? I mean, what is it? And I'll tell you what it is for me. Star Wars is about a feeling. So immediately, when I was a kid, I'm watching Star Wars, and Luke is staring at those two setting suns on Tatooine, I'm hit with a feeling. When Han Solo is put in the carbon freeze and it's like, I love you, I know, I'm hit with a feeling. Matter of fact, I could not watch that scene for years afterwards. I was so upset about what happened to Han Solo. Um, let's see what else. When, my goodness, uh, like Luke finds out, who, you know, that he's, that's that Darth Vader's father. It hits you with a feeling. And I'll say this about the Mandalorian. It made me feel something again for Star Wars. Because I had, I had, I was not feeling much <laughs> with, with episode seven, seven and eight. I gotta be honest with you. I wasn't feeling much. And that's when I was like, okay, uh, this maybe Star Wars is gone. But now I feel like, no, this particular brand of Star Wars is, is back for me. Personally, um, there's an A-list screenwriter named Billy Ray. He wrote Captain Phillips. He wrote uh, several of the Hunger Games movies. He did a really good independent. He wrote and directed a really good independent movie called Shattered Glass, which coincidentally starred Hayden Christensen about a guy who was uh, working at a newspaper called the I think it's called the New Republic. And he had fictionalized a bunch of stories and then got caught anyway. Um, so he did a panel at the Writers Guild Foundation the other day that I listened to. I always try and listen to A-list screenwriters because they're, they're, obviously they're doing something right and I want to be where they are. So he said that one of our jobs, this is Billy Ray talking, not me. He said that one of our jobs is that on the page, we need to elicit an emotional response to elicit a feeling. That's the job. So when think about that in your writing. Like, do I have things that elicit emotion, feelings? I, we get it. This plot, this character... And I get caught up in this too. You got to structure it. You got to have three acts. Maybe you got six acts if you're doing TV. I get it. We got to feel something. And, you, and you've got to figure out a way to put that on the page. Anyway. And then the other thing what Star Wars is to me is some of these themes about parenthood, right? I mean, Luke and his, come, we come to find out his father was Darth Vader. His father tried to kill him multiple times. 
Leia's father, the same dude, blew up her planet in front of her. So it's like these parent dynamics. I feel like Mandalorian is back in that space because we have this guy, bounty hunter, and he's, and he's, you know, he's with this kid and he's trying to figure out what the hell am I supposed to do? This isn't part of my creed. I don't, I don't know anything about it. I'm a practical man. I go through this world. I've got my weapons. I got my armor. I got my ship. I got my bounties. A little carbon freeze chamber. I'm good. Now I got this kid. I don't know. And one other thing to think about when you're, when you're crafting your shows and um, you need, you know, you're trying to figure out what, what is the hook of the show. You know, something that's kind of like pithy and you can just say, you know, this is what the show is. So I'll give you an example. With Breaking Bad, I remember, I remember I've heard stories, and I think Vince Gilligan has said it himself, that, you know, his, the hook, the pitch of the show, the one-minute synopsis or pitch or whatever, to, you know, to execs was, well, what happens when we turn Mr. Chips into Scarface? And, so, and everyone kind of gets what that is. And same with The Mandalorian, it's what happens when we take the hardest mofo in the galaxy who lives by a strict code and give him someone to care about. Cause I don't know if he's ever had, I mean, I know the Mandalorians, they're kind of like, they're all like really honorable and they're, they're fighting side by side, but this is on a different level. Like this is like protective care. Anyway, just something to think about. So yeah, trying to think about like when you're trying to have a show, like what would happen if, what happens if we turn Mr. Chips into Scarface? What happens if we take a bounty hunter and give him a baby? <laughs> <clears throat> It's fascinating. I find it fascinating. Anyway, so season two, let's get into it. Um, chapter nine, the marshal. Um, Lord, and Mando's on his stuff again, right? Because he's not, he's not quite getting how to, be, <laughs> how to be a good parent. So he brings the kids to the fights and the fights are brutal. But he's like, wherever he goes, I go. And I'm like, wow, he's like connected to this child. And... Even when he lands, I think he has some interactions with droids and he's even changed. He's kind of, yeah, I think he lands and that same maintenance lady is like, oh, I'll keep the droids away. And Mando's kind of like, no, it's fine. Let him check the ship. I was like, oh, this, this shows growth. This man is growing. Uh, what else we get in this episode? We, uh, oh yeah, this is when we go to the other side of Navarro, some other part and you know, uh, this dude is walking around in Boba Fett's armor. And, um, you know, we get the backstory of how the, the, this random white dude <laughs> got Boba Fett's armor. And, you know, and then we get it while they're riding on these speeders. So it's like, you could use, I think it was a clever way to destroy, like they're on their way somewhere. Then we could, we could give you the backstory as opposed to standing somewhere in a bar or whatever, staying on the street and doing this talky talky thing. It's like, no, while they're on the speeders, they, I thought that was just a really elegant way to do that, that they were on the speeders headed somewhere. And he's like, yeah, I found the armor. Here's what happened. And we had to clean up the town, blah, 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 blah. And this is essentially like another kill the creature episode. Like they got to work with the sand people, there's a creature. We got to get the townspeople together, everybody together. You know, and I, what I, what the show does really well is they know when to use their guy Mando and when to kind of let him hang back. So there's a lot of stuff going on with the sand people and the townspeople and they're fighting the creature, dragon, if you want to call it. 
But then they always, you know, smartly give Mando kind of like he kind of, you know, saves the day or he does the final thing to take the creature down. And it's like a badass move. In this case, he's like flying his little rocket through the through the dragon and shooting it, blowing it up from the sky. I'm like, this dude's just this dude's just bad. He's just bad. Um, and then we set up one other thing, which is a dude in a cloaked robe and he's watching Mando leave, you know, kind of leave on a speeder. He turns to the camera and I'm like, oh, that face is kind of familiar, but I don't know. He looks kind of familiar. I'm not sure. Okay, great. Yes. Good first episode. Chapter 10, The Passenger. So, uh, and I, don't, I think these were, you know, again, we left off chapter nine, Mando on a speeder. They've helped kill the dragon. He got the armor. Great. Um, and yeah, he was trying, he, and, and of course he was on a quest to try and find other Mandalorians because he's thinking they might help point him towards the, towards the Jedi. So he's looking for other Mandalorians. He finds just this armor and he's taking the armor from the dude per creed, you know, it doesn't belong to you. He takes the armor. He's on his little speeder. And I don't know if these were bounty hunters that were still after you know, um, the child or what, but we get an obstacle, you know, he can't just go back to his ship. Like some, they die a line, he goes flying. And once again, we can see how smart this man is. Little dude is like, ah, you know, tries to grab the kid. And he, he's like his own power, his only priority, Mando's only priority is once they snatch the child to get the child back. So dude wants his rocket back. Okay, here you go. And then that ends very badly for the person that took the rocket pack because Mando's smart. He's not just some, you know, uh, muscle, like, he's not just the muscle. He's got a brain in there. So they're reminding us of that. Like, this guy isn't just, like, kick and punch, you know. He's, he's, he's a thinker. Um, and then there's this whole deal where he's got to take the fish lady. <laughs> he's got to take the fish lady uh, without using the hyperdrive to her next destination. And I can't even remember why he was having to do this, but yeah, I'm, you just go with it. Like the, he's, you know, he's like, I'm not a taxi service, but he's got to take the fish lady. But what I found just so sweet and adorable is that Mando and, and the child sleep in the, like this little compartment and he's got that helmet on even when he's sleeping like in there with so so that he hasn't so it, they made it clear like he hasn't shown his face even to this child like this is not we're not he's not even doing that like he sleeps with a freaking helmet on wow this dude's committed you gotta respect that so and then as he's flying there's this like encounter with some x-wings new republic trying to you know like you know show hey we're the we're the new you know <laughs> we're in charge now we're patrolling whatever and this prison ship business comes back to haunt Mando because that sh his ship was used with the prison, the strike on the, the New Republic prison ship. Again, like remembering where the show has been and bringing that back to like force, force some conflict. Just smart. Um, yeah. And, and he doesn't want to flash his transponder and there's all this back and forth. And finally, he just he just he tries to just dip. I will say that the radio chatter between the pilots and Mando and somebody's like, yeah, switch to channel two. All that was like legit pilot stuff. That is, I was like, I don't know if they have they had some sort of consultant or whatever, but I was like, someone did their homework. And again, it reinforces to me, like the guys behind the show, John Favreau, Dave Filoni, they care. Like the details matter to them. 
So Mando crashes on his ice planet. And it's like, and I, it was just, it, it just, like, it just keeps getting worse and worse. It crashes on the ice planet, like multiple layers down into the ice. And I'm like, the ship is trashed. I'm like, how's he going to get out of here? And even Mando is kind of like, man, <laughs> hell with this. I'm going to lean, I'm going to lean here. I'm going to take a nap. I've just, I've dealt with just too much. Like I'm just, can a man just get a nap? I'm tired. And that fish lady, she, she hooks up to the droid so she can communicate and she shames the heck out of him. Shames him so badly and gathers him up. And he, to his credit, again, is a bounty hunter. He could snap her neck and like be done with it and move, like move on. But like, he's literally invested in, well, and that's invested, but he's like, he's not going to hurt her. He's going to allow her to gather him up. He could have easily been like, you know, shut the hell up and, you know, shove her over the, he, he lets it happen. He's like, he's absorbing her critique of him. And he's like, all right, I'm gonna get up and go out here. He's disciplining the child also. Like the child keeps eating the, eating the eggs. He's being firm with them. Like, Hey, don't do that. Stop that. Very paternal. This wasn't the guy we met in episode one at all. And then um, we go outside and, uh, <laughs> you know, he, Amanda's working on a ship. Fish lady decides she's going to find a hot tub and just put herself in it with her, you know, with her eggs and float around for a while. Looks real nice. Girl, I probably would have invited Mando to come in that hot tub with me. He can keep his helmet on. Take the rest off, keep your helmet on, get in the hot tub. But no, she was just about herself and her kids, whatever, her little eggs, whatever. So anyway, so she's in the hot tub and the spiders come all over and I have arachnophobia. So I was watching this all through one eye, but it was just like between the crash on the ice planet and then the spiders coming and the spiders kept getting bigger and they're all over his ship. And then to the point where he's confined into just the small cockpit, you know, shooting his way out. It was just the stakes just kept building, you know? Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that was that was it. But they get out of there because you know, new public X Wings come and help them out. Mm-hmm. Um, which is good. That's cool. Um, chapter eleven, the heiress. Oh yeah, this is when he's trying to he he's coming in just so broken and battered. He's trying to drop off the fish lady on this water planet, which makes sense. That's where she would live, and he's coming in hot because it's like the ship is just trash just out of control. And it's like, just when you think, oh, he's going to land. Okay. It just teeters over and into the water. And I just think it's cool that this show, like we went from an ice plant to a water plant. Sometimes, you know, we're on Tatooine, it's a desert. It's just cool to see these different worlds, you know? Um, so he's looking for Mandalorians, of course, and some guy in the bar, cause we're always in the bars, <laughs> uh, are like, Hey, we got some we could take you, we could take you to him and get on this boat. The pirates try to ambush Mando on the boat to, to get his best car. And then these, again, this was one of these old sugar honey iced tea moments. Lando, uh, not Lando, Mando's trapped. You know, the child has been swallowed by some creature in the, in the boat. He's trapped beneath the gate, almost drowning. Cause I know all the armor's heavy and he can't float in that. And there's, and the guys are jabbing at him. Like it's all happening. 
And then, oh, sugar, honey, iced tea, these blue Mandalorians show up and just, 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 just open up a can of whoop ass, just start beating everyone. Like it was just, it was just crazy. And I could tell like, okay, I thought all three of them were, were women because the way the suits were cut. And then I realized, oh, no, it's, it's one dude with them. But like, they were just, they were just going to town. And the part where it was, you know, one, um, I think it was Bo-Katan, who we find out who she is later, but Bo-Katan, you know, they get Mando out of there. He's just, all he's concerned about is get the child, get the child. And she says, don't worry, brother, we got this. I was like, oh my God, oh, this warms my heart. So I went from like, my heart's so warm because he has his people now and they just called him brother and oh my goodness, like I'm feeling like, oh, this is so great. And then within seconds, the show flips and I'm like, oh crap, they took their masks off. Like, I don't even get a respite of like, oh, relief or like, it's like, boom, boom. I'm shook. And then they tell him, <laughs> they tell him like, Oh, you're in a cult. You're a child of the watch doing all this stuff and keeping your helmet all the time. That's not how the rest of us roll. And I'm like, well, what? Wait, what? Huh? He's in a cult? Okay. Well, that's something to ponder, but I'm still with him. I'm not with you. I'm still with him. If he says that's the way, that's the way. Uh, and then, of course, again, this is the show where to get a thing, you got to go do some other thing. So they need his help to go take down this uh, Imperial cruiser. And uh, yeah, you help us. We'll give you what you want. Um, oh, another thing I forgot to mention in this whole the Blue Mandalorian show up on the boat and say, Mando, the, the floating bassinet gets destroyed in this, ex in this, this exchange. Like it just gets crushed. So we won't have that anymore. You know, remember that. So they get on the Imperial cruiser and Bo-Katan, and at first it was just to get the weapons and then Bo-Katan says, I want the whole ship, not just the weapons. And Mando's kind of like, ah, oh, this is not what I agreed to. And, you know, and then we, you know, get Bo-Katan's motivation. She's looking for some object that she, ob object that she needs to rule Mandalore. Okay, listen, again, Mando is like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I got, I'm, the kid is my priority. I need to find out where these Jedi are, do you know? They're working their way towards the cockpit of the, of the ship. And then, of course, the commander is going to like, you know, he's going to crash it. And they've got to get there before it crashes, you know, raising the stakes. We get a mention of the Dark Sword, finally, like uh, what it is. Like that's what, that's what Bo-Katan is looking for. And then Mando gets out of there. Um, and then when he goes back <laughs> to, get, to get the child... Because he left him with the fish people and told him, mind his manners. Don't act a fool. Uh, <laughs> he's, he, you know, and they have now procreated. They have now an offspring. What does this hardened bounty hunter say? Congratulations. He wouldn't have said this stuff like, you know, early season one. He wouldn't have cared like somebody reproduced the eggs, whatever. He was like, whatever. This guy's like, ever since this child came into his life, it's like, we're getting a different dude. And now he's a little bit shook because he's running to other Mandalorians that are telling him, oh, you're in a cult, man. You're not one of us. You're a weirdo. It's kind of the impression I got. All right, chapter 12, The Siege. This was cute because he's, we open, 
And a lot of times this show opens on like some action happening on a planet and before Mando even gets there to sort of set up what the world is. I think, I think this one we're, we're on the ship and he's trying to talk. He's having full blown conversations with this child now. It's like he's trying to communicate. Like this is now his companion. He's just talking like put the, put the red wire where the blue wire used to be. And they're sitting having soup together. And he's like telling him his plan, but Mando's still hiding his face. He like drinks his little soup, but he's got his, he's hiding his face, got his helmet on. He's, he's back on his creed. And, you know, even though these blue Mandos told him like, oh, you're, you know, you're weird for that. He's like, no, I'm still on. The, I, I keep it on my helmet. This is the way. I just, side note, I don't understand how this man is making it through the galaxy, fighting all these people, you know, all this physically taxing stuff and all he drinks is soup. I've never seen him eat, like, you don't see him eat any, like, real food, like a steak? Potato, maybe? Okay, anyway. So, get back to Navarro, because Mando's like, you know, we're not going to, we need repairs, so we might as well go back and see some friends. Again, we're reusing a set, you know, some familiar actors, a world that we already know. And he gets to Navarro, and it's like, oh, things have changed. Like, now, uh, Cara Dune is a, like, you know, sort of a marshal, and... um, Grief. The character's name is Grief, not Carl Weathers. The character's name is Grief. He's now sort of some sort of administrator, a politician, running things. Great. Like, looks like a new looks like a new place. But oh, there's a secret imperial. There's so many secret imperial bases, y'all. Just like <laughs> so many Death Stars. Anyway, <laughs> so many secret imperial bases, and there's one left on Navarro, and they've got to go, and you know they want his help to go and you know blow blow the place up. Anyway, they get to the Imperial base, some sort of creepy lab. Clearly, they were doing some sort of experiments with the child's blood. Weird, um, like, stuff in a tank that I was like, ah, oh, what's going on here? Find out that Moff Gideon is still alive. Oh, damn. Um, and Mando's first thought, as soon as he hears that Moff Gideon is still alive, I've got to get back to the child. Because they had left the kid in the little schoolhouse to eat cookies while they went and did this thing. And he's like, oh crap, I've got to get back. So he jets out of there, which is great for a couple reasons. Because now we have, we can give the other characters this action sequence and give them a chance to, to shine. Like Cara Dune gets in that like Imperial tank and she starts, you know, she's jumping off the ledge and it's like this whole tank, tank race, tank pod race thing in a, in a canyon and, you know, Speeders are coming after them, and TIE fighters are coming after them. And then, of course, the tank is not, again, by the time we get to the point where the, the, the characters are going to get in the tank and drive it, we have seen it earlier. We saw it earlier in the episode when they first got to the base. It was like, oh, and I think the little blue guy was like, oh, look at that, you know, Imperial tank. And Amanda was like, yeah, it's just all going to be dust in a minute. So set things up earlier so that it's not just like, oh, look how convenient. There's a tank there. Like we saw it earlier when they were coming in. So anyway, set up, pay off. So we get this big chase sequence, with, like I said, with the speeder bikes and um, tank, period fighters in the canyon. And putting my producer hat on, I was like, I'm fine with having my lead not in this scene. Why? Because... It is got to be, and I know I have multiple people working in that suit, but it is arduous work to be in that suit all day. And so if you can give the actors um, some respite from having to be in scenes, 
it's not going to hurt. It doesn't hurt the show. And um, it gives, you know, other characters a time, a moment to sort of step up. And the, and the logistics part of it is when he's not, when, he, when those actors, or those stunt guys, really, the stunt guys are not having to be in this scene with this chase and all this stuff. Well, they could be off like um, choreographing and training for the big fight scene that's coming up in the next episode. So you just sort of like break things up. Like you don't have to have your lead everywhere doing everything all the time. Like stop it. Uh, and then, you know, it, it, they're, you know, they're racing back in this tank and Cara Dune is like Florida and Carl Weathers have been manning, not Carl Weathers, Grief have been <laughs> manning the gun. And then once again, we can give our hero like that glory, that, that glory moment of like he swoops in, he's in the ship, it's been repaired very quickly, I might add. And... Um, he, he saves the day, takes out the TIE fighters. He does some maneuvers where I'm like, okay, again, we are reinforcing that this guy not only will fight you hand to hand, not only will like, you know, have every trick in the book, flames coming out of his, his arms, ropes. Um, not only is he smart, but then he's also this really good pilot. I was like, he's just the whole package. If you can't tell, I'm in love with the Mandalorian. Um, so we get reminded of that. And also, side note, um, I love seeing people that I've worked with or know in, in something like Star Wars. So Katie O'Brien um, pops up as like an Imperial officer, very dutiful and like interacting with Moff Gideon. It was good to see her. And she just tells us like, okay, there's a tracking device on the Razor Crest. And also we get like a glimpse of these dark troopers that, you know, are like in this, hall, in this sort of um, contained area. Ooh, wow. Okay. Chapter 13, The Jedi. Um, I'm going to, and I have to, I'm going to come clean with you guys. I'll say this. I did, I have, I have not watched The Clone Wars, the animated show. So I am not familiar with it. I have a vague understanding of, of who Ahsoka, Ahsoka Tano, Ahsoka Tano is. Ahsoka, yeah, Ahsoka Tano is. Um, but seeing her and seeing uh, the performance that, um, goodness why am I blanking on it uh, the performance that is it Michelle no uh, oh no Rosario Dawson pardon me Rosario Dawson seeing the performance that Rosario Dawson gave as this Jedi it was it was just amazing it was just and again we're on like a different looking planet right so it's kind of like these it almost looked like a Halloween episode like the trees were had no leaves on them and they were just bare but it was like it was almost, it was a burnt forest what it was which decimated forest and she's got some sort of beef with like the, you know, the chick running the, the, you know, enclosed town. Okay, great. Again, this is one of those things where they set up the world, the planet before Mando even gets there. We're saying, okay, he's coming into like a, this, we get the dynamic that he's coming into where, you know, and we get, we also see like the kid. So they get off the thing and the kid is stolen the ball. He's still fixated on the damn ball, the damn ball. But what's interesting is, like I mentioned before, the bassinet got destroyed on the boat with the pirates. So now Mando is like carrying the child everywhere. He's got a little sling. It's like tucked in behind his hip. And I'm watching this. I'm like, well, how, this is just so intimate between these two. Like now it's like we have a little bit more, like that barrier's gone. We don't have that little bassinet anymore. It's not like floating next to him. Now they're physically connected. As he's going about his day, his business. And he and Mando always like tries to play it off like, oh, I keep him around for luck when if, if anyone ever asks. It's like, but you know, you're keeping him close so like 
to protect him, bro. Again, this guy is like, you know, just a changing. Um, we get the setup of the Beskar spear, which what I, what I thought was great was like, they had Mando tap it on his armor, you know, to, uh, to check it, test it, um, which is cool. So yeah, the, the magistrate lady is like, hey, go kill the Jedi. I'll give you this Beskar, Beskar spear. And Mando's, Mando's like, well, I'm looking for a Jedi. So let me go out here. Um, and, you know, initially we have this like confrontation between Ahsoka, Ahsoka Tano, Ahsoka Tano, ah Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. And I think I'm saying it wrong, but, um, we have this confrontation between her and Mando. And what I didn't realize is like Beskar holds up even against lightsabers. This Beskar is pretty amazing. Um, and I found this whole thing just so beautifully shot because there was like silhouettes and the moon and, and Ahsoka Tano and, and the child are like sitting there and it's like, and they're having this quiet communication and just look, she's, the looks they're exchanging between them. You don't need no dialogue. There was no, hardly any dialogue. It was just like, you know, quiet, serene, and you could feel it. And you're just talking. You didn't need it. And then, um, so we're going to like, you know, he, she's going to test Grogu and see like where he's at. Side note, um, Grogu is an actual puppet, right? Oh, first of all, we get his name. So Ahsoka Tano knows his name, you know, Grogu. And at first, Mando's kind of like not, uh, you know, not able. He's still like, hey, kid. And, he, and she's like, Grogu. She's, she's like, <laughs> again, instructing him. And he's taking the instruction, Mando, I mean. He's taking it. Like that, the guy we met in the beginning, you ain't going to tell him nothing. He's going to do things how he wants to do things. But with this kid, she's like, try to connect with him. And he's like, all right, get the metal ball out. And sure enough, you know, Grogu likes the metal ball. He can, he can, he can draw the ball to him. So the final confrontation is we're back in the, the city and we got a Mandalorian and a Jedi working together. Who would have who would have thought, you know, these enemies from way back. When. I want to know why the Mandalorians and the Jedi fought way back in the day. Like, what was that about? Okay, anyway. But um, so what was great about this show is the two women are in inside the little Japanese garden throwing down, like throwing down. Like we got a we got a lightsaber fight against the Beskar's thing. And then out, just outside the door, Mando's having this sort of Wild West standoff, you know, I'm going to, you know, who's going to pull their, pull their weapon faster outside. And again, like, and like I've said this before, our lead does not have to be engaged in every single intense fight. Like you gave this to the two women, Ahsoka, Ahsoka Tano and, and whoever, I can't remember the other lady's name. You gave it to the guest star. And, you know, like my lead actor can get a break and doesn't have to do, you know, a huge, you know, he had a little fighting to do him. And he had a little fighting out in the, you know, when Sokotano jumped him in the woods, like a little fighting there. And then y'all again, another sugar, honey, iced tea moment for me. Sokotano was like, where is, is Thrawn? She asked about Thrawn. Y'all, y'all, if you don't know, Thrawn was mentioned in, there were these books that this gentleman named Timothy Zahn wrote um, shortly after 
of the original trilogy came out. And it was literally about this guy, Admiral Thrawn, who was like rebuilding the empire. And he had this like guerrilla style um, way of just running through different parts of the galaxy. He made, he was, he was wreaking havoc. So if they're going to do something with Thrawn, I'm all in. I'm, I'm in. So, um, and the other thing, like, I know sometimes people refer to the Mandalorian. I've heard people on Twitter call it a kid's show. I, I disagree because I keep seeing this recurring theme of people being oppressed, trying to rise up against the oppressed. It was happening even in this little, this little, you know, village that Ahsoka Tano was trying to liberate. Like, you know, some of the towns, the townspeople were being like strung up, you know, on like a torture device and, and they weren't allowed to like talk. And it was like, you know, it's like, and, and at the end you were just happy for them that they overthrew this tyrannical reign of this chick. But it's dealing with a lot of, you know, like, con- like themes of freedom and who should rule and who shouldn't rule. We get back to the ship, you know, and Mando is like dragging his feet. It seemed like he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to hand Grogu over to Ahsoka Tano. He's like, mm, time to go. Okay, you got to go. And she, Ahsoka Tano's like, you're like a father to him. Lord, we got we got here. And here's the thing, I don't know the timeline of this show. This could have this show, like, they sort of, you know, they sort of appear on worlds and it's like, oh, it's been a long time. I haven't seen you. Like, I don't know what the timeline is. I don't know if it's two years, I don't know if it's a year, I don't know if it's two months, I don't know. But in this time, they have formed an attachment to the to where the Jedi is like, you're like a follow to him. Wow. This is this just like. I don't know. I just love it so much. Um, and like I said, Rosario Dawson is just great in this. Like, I'm looking forward to her doing her own series, which I know is happening. All right, chapter 14, The Tragedy. This looks so cute. It's like, Grogu. Mm? Grogu. Mm? It's just so cute. Um, yeah, they're in the cockpit together, and, you know, he knows the name, so he's saying it to him. But um, clearly... Mando is kind of wrestling with things, right? Because he's like, okay, um, yeah, I got to take, because they're on their way to this other planet to put him on some sort of pedestal so he could call out to another Jedi because Ahsoka Tano was like, I can't train this dude. Jedi always run around talking about, I can't train this one. Okay, whatever. (laughs) So, um, you know, they're on their way to like this other planet to put him on this like, you know, pedestal. But Mando's clearly like, again, wrestling with some of the stuff because he's like, don't you want to go learn this Jedi stuff? You know, I can't teach you that stuff. I felt like he wants to, he want, he, in, his, in his heart of hearts, it's like he wants to keep that kid. But he knows duty. He knows promises. And he knows like, I'm not, you know, I can't show him. His abilities are up here. I can't do that. It's almost like Manda was trying to talk himself into like, okay, this is the way I have to give this kid up. This is what I have to do. This per creed, my, the, the, the lady with the armor, Mandalorian lady with the armor told me I got to take it to the Jedi. And that, that's what I intend to do. This is what we're going to do. So Mando, you know, puts him on the rock. And again, you know, this can't say this, you know, even more. He's like, 
okay, you're on the rock. Like now do whatever you do. And he doesn't understand this Jedi stuff. He does. He's a practical man. I got my weapons, my shit, my armor, my, my Beskar. I don't do this hocus pocus. I don't do sorcery. And then slave one shows up. Boba Fett ship. We meet Boba Fett. And he says, I'm a simple man making my way through the galaxy. Guys, these people have like, they know, they know Star Wars because that's from episode two. When we meet Django, I believe Django says that. And of course, Boba's, Boba's his uh, clone offspring um, that was sitting right there when his father said this stuff. Um, yeah. And, and Finnick just sort of casually says his name, Boba Fett. I don't know why. Um, uh, here's the thing that I bump on. This is one thing, in, like probably in the whole season that I bump on and I'm like, ah. Um, <laughs> if Boba was on Tatooine, you mean to tell me he couldn't find the armor from that white dude that had just put it on on the other side of Tatooine? Like, why did he have to now come find, why does Mando, Mando goes and gets the armor and then now Boba has to come get the armor from Mando. Like, what was Boba Fett doing on Tatooine that you could not track down your own armor after you got out of the pit? Okay, anyways, um, so we get this action sequence where the, you know, several squadrons of stormtroopers are coming down, a big shootout. Again, we let the guest stars kind of carry the action, um, you know, fighting with them. Because Mando, again, his priority is like, I gotta get the kid, I gotta get the kid. And the kid is like in some sort of like portal type thing, meditative portal. And every time Mando tries to jump in there, he gets tossed to the point where he's out cold. Then when he finally wakes up, he's like, okay, I'll try and get you more time. I'm going to protect you. Man, I'm going to protect you. He loves that kid. Mm-mm. He loves that kid. Yeah. Um, and then um, the kid gets snatched. The kid gets snatched. Wait, I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. He didn't get snatched yet. Um, Razor Crest gets blown up. And I'm just like, oh my God. So now Mando has lost his ship. He's not in his little bounty hunter guild anymore. He's lost his other Mandalorians. Like he has lost everything. What a journey this man is on. And then come the dark troopers. It just doesn't let up in this episode. Like it's just like boom, 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 boom. You know, stormtroopers, one ship after another. Then we get the dark troopers coming in. And Grogu gets snatched, and it's just like, oh my God. They got him. Flying off. And Boba Fett was like, you know, I'm going to pursue, take him out. And then Mando's like, don't shoot, you'll hurt the kid. That is always the priority. Save that child. This dude. Mm -mm. He's just. I'll say it. he loves that shit. He loves that kid. He loves that kid by now. Um, he won't say it, but he loves that kid. Then you see, I was just heartbroken watching him pick through the rubble of his ship. And I know, yeah, you're a Mandalorian. You're not supposed to have like feelings or really care probably about material things. It's just like the job, you know, the way, the business. But that was your ship, bro. You know, I said ship, ship, not, not the other word. Um, and then he finds the ball. You know, finds that that's left. And the Beskar Spear, um, which will pay off later in the this, in this season. 
Um, yeah, and then he's got Boba Fett and Fennec who have agreed to like help him, which I'm not totally sure why they're gonna help him. There was some sort of like our debt to you, and I'm like, I don't know. You could have just got the armor. You were on Tatooine. I don't know. But anyway, I go with it. And then Mando goes back to Cara Dune, and we're starting to build this team. Like, I got to go get Grogu. And what's interesting to me is like everyone he comes across, whether it's Cara Dune, whether it's you know. Boa Fett and Finnick, whether it's uh, Grief, the Carl Weathers character, they're all, you know, all, they got my kid. They took his kid. And now it's, I mean, they literally are using that language of like, that's his kid. It's not just some kid he's taking some, like, no, that, they got his kid, bro. The language changes. And we cut to Moff Gideon's ship and my God, Grogu is in there just twisting some stormtroopers up like, just contorting them physically, putting a hurt on them. But his flaw is he can do all this stuff, this Jedi stuff and choke people and twist people, but then he gets a little tired and he has to pass out. And freaking Moff Gideon, I mean, this is how you make a villain trash. It's not about, you know, this is how you make a villain trash. Come in, come in there, put Grogu in shackles and, and, and tranquilize him. And I just left this episode just pissed, just pissed. Y'all did this to him, really? So that's what you want, though. You want your audience, like, kind of mad sometimes. I was mad. That's what you want. So that's, like, a good villain move there. Not, like, we didn't need to see him gratuitously beating Grogu or anything. It was just enough to see this little child in the shackles and then tranquilize. Are you kidding me? Some of y'all go too far with the violence and the, you know, like, we don't, you didn't need it. it. That was enough. That hurt. All right, chapter 15, The Believer. This is probably my favorite episode of season two, y'all. It's so, it's so good. It's so good. <clears throat> so like I said, you know, a lot of these episodes tend to start on the planet before Mando even arrives. We sort of get, um, you know, like what's, what's, what the environment is like. So I, I don't even know what planet we're on. We're, it's a, maybe it's just a prison planet, which I'm kind of surprised at the New Republic, which is supposed to be like so you know, freedom and, and not the empire and so progressive has a prison that looks like this run by droids with like pain sticks. Like that was a little questionable to me. And that's kind of what I like about the Mandalorian in general, like this star Wars that we're in, it's kind of, kind of gray. It's not just like good and evil, not just black and white. It's, it gets in these gray nuanced areas. Cause I'm sitting here. I'm like, Oh, the new Republic prison looks like this. Like, okay. I thought you guys were Okay, evolving, progressive, whatever. So we revisit our friend Mayfeld from the prison ship episode, previously introduced character. He says, Mando, long time. And I'm like, I don't know how long it is. I don't know if it's been two years, whatever. Um, but, you know, it's like you, you get a sense that they hadn't seen each other. And it's been a while since that prison thing went down. I thought it was really cute that first they have Boba, Boba Fett come down a ramp and, and, and Mayfeld is kind of like stressed out, like, oh, Oh, you're not the same guy. I thought you were someone else. And then Mando comes down. I was like, oh, that's so, that's so smart. We get in uh, Boba Fett's ship, Slave One. Again, these people care about Star Wars. We all, we've seen that ship kind of rotate for years now. Now we're inside and we see that it's, oh, it's gyroscopic. Fantastic. And then we, first thing is the dilemma. Like, okay, so we got we to gotta go. It's always like, we got to go. You know, we want to get Grogu, but first we got to get the coordinates of where um, uh, Moff Gideon's ship is. 
first, and so we got to hit this imperial imperial uh, base on Mos- Moscow, or I don't know the name, it was imperial base on a planet. Okay, fine. So that's why we need Mayfield, because he's ex-imperial, and he knows how to, he'll know the procedures, how that we can get in there. But the problem is, who can go with Mayfield into the, into the base, right? Because familiar faces will alert the system. And again, no one, these people know their Star Wars. Thet, who's a clone, who was used by the Empire, he's like, let's just say they'll know my face. So he can't go. Cara Dune can't go. Finnick can't go. So then it's like, all right, Mando's like, fine, I'll go. It's like, well, hang on, you don't understand. Like, you, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, you can't come in here looking like this, you know, with your Mandalorian armor on. It's like, I, don't worry, and I won't be showing my face. So Mando puts on the Juggernaut Trooper armor. He's super uncomfortable in it. You can tell he's not, like, moving right. It's just like, ugh. But he's willing to do this because how much does he want to save Grogu? How much does this bounty hunter care about this one, one person? And not only that, does he, and he also trusts Cara Dune enough to give her the ar- his, his best guard armor and say, hey, watch this for me. Like, that's his girl. Like, I trust you enough with my armor. The growth of this man. Mm. Um, so then we get this sort of, you know, buddy cop type situation with Mayfeld and Mando and the juggernaut. And Mayfeld's poking. He's poking. What would they say on Mandalore? So the first tactic he tries to use on Mando is shame. Look at you in this, you know, ratchet little stormtrooper or, um, or juggernaut trooper outfit. In a black hall, in a, in a black household, we have a saying of like, if your grandmother could see you now, she'd be rolling in her grave, you know. So that's the equivalent of this. Like somebody's always rolling in their grave, you know. Um, yeah, I think it gets in, and it definitely gets in Mandel's head a little bit because it's like he doesn't want to be wearing this stuff. Um, he'd rather be in his armor. But freaking uh, Mayfeld just keeps poking. I don't know how you people wear these things. You people. I don't know. Be careful saying that kind of stuff to somebody. Um, and then we have also have this constraint of the juggernaut. Like it can't go too fast because it's got this rhydonium and the whole thing will blow. And so we've got like, not only is Mando in a different suit, he's uncomfortable. Then we have this, this, this you know, stuff that, you know, this, or this uh, explosive on there, you know, whatever. And man, there's this moment where they're driving through a little town and people are scattering to make way. And Mando looks out his window and he locks eyes with the young boy on the side of the road. And there was just so much in that look and so much of a connection. And I just, I just felt it again. Star Wars is a feeling and it works on, on a couple different levels. And I'll explain why. First of all, we know the backstory of Mando, right? We, we know he was a foundling. You know, we know he was like, we, we see him as a boy and he gets picked up by the Mandalorians. And I, so that was a connection there. I think he had with this young boy of like, kind of, kind of looked a little bit like him when he was younger. But then you have to think about the actor who is cast to play this role. And I'm specifically talking about Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal was a refugee. So he fled, his family fled Chile when he was young and I think over some political, political situation. So I could just feel that coming through. 
And I'm pretty sure he was in a suit when this was shot. Uh, this, I, I, I'm pretty sure that was him. Um, but I could just feel the, like, that energy plus the backstory. Um, I don't know. It's like, it's like it, it, creates, it creates this intangible thing, right? So we always sit and look at our projects in terms of, like, okay, we need a script and we need a director and we need actors and we add all these things together and it's going to, you know, make that. And sometimes I'll say this. Two plus two can sometimes make five. Because when you're sitting there, and credit to John Favreau and Dave Filoni for going with an actor who is an actual refugee, because isn't that what kind of Mando is anyway? Like, you know, his home, his home situation was destroyed. And he had to go somewhere else and live with some other people. So they, they cast this guy who's a refugee. And I'm just, I'm just like, that's just so, it just layers it in a, in a way that isn't like in the script physically, or it's not like a, a shot that's shot that's decided upon. It's just an intangible that's there. It's just something I felt. Yeah. So think about that when you're casting your projects. Like sometimes, you know, writers and directors, sometimes they want to treat actors like they're props or they're like droids and you just want to get here, do here, say this. Stuff. It's like, sit down with these people and talk to them about like their life path. Because you never know how much some of that will play into what it is that you're doing. Anyway, um, the other thing I felt there was they could have gone out and cast some 20 something CW free form heartthrob and put him in the suit and had him do the voice. But they didn't. They chose an actor that's, you know, um, not 20-something. And he's got some mileage on him. And you can hear it in his voice. It, and and it's, there's, a, there's a difference between having a, you know, if, we, if, if Amanda were younger and we see him evolving like this, it, it, it wouldn't be the same effect because it's like, oh, well, you're like 22. You've only been doing this for like five years. As opposed to this dude who's a little bit older, I'm like, now, he's been doing this for like 20, 30 years. Like he's been set in this, in this helmet stuff and this lifestyle for a while. And now he's changing. And now this is fascinating because he's been on a certain path for a long time. I suppose some dude in his 20s who's like, oh, wet behind the ears. And I'm just dipping my toe in this, in this bounty hunter thing or whatever. Anyway, so it's just some thoughts I had when I, when I saw that. I just, I just, it hit me in my gut. This show, if you can't tell by now, this show really hits me in my soul. It really does. So then Mayfeld gets into this interesting sort of speech where he's talking about Empire, New Republic. It's all the same to these people because, you know, uh, somebody's ruling and somebody's getting ruled. Um, and, and these people are just trying to go about their business and it just keeps swapping. And it's like completely irrelevant to them. And I'll tell you right now, as, as someone who me personally, I'm speaking personally, who has been a part of an occupying force, that hit me right in the gut, too. I was like, yeah. It's really great, right? Who's, who's in the right, who's in the wrong, depending on who has the power. And, do, and the, pop, in the general pop, in the locals, the populace, they're like, uh, I, you know, whatever. It's just, we're having these, we're in this great area of discussions and we're having, we're, we're, having, we're in these great areas of Star Wars and we're having these discussions. This ain't a kid's show. Because we're wrestling with this kind of stuff present day. So Mayfeld keeps poking. What's the rule on the helmet? You know, because it seems like if you're getting desperate, you start making changes and, you know, changing. Is it you can't is it you can't take the helmet off or no one can see your face? Or what are the rules? And Mando just sits there kind of shifting uncomfortable and says nothing. And again, y'all, 
You don't need, there's sometimes you don't need dialogue. I could see the wheels turning in that man's head. He's trying to figure this stuff out. Because Mayfeld ain't wrong. He is like, you know, kind of doing different things. And, and you know, this is, this is, this is a, definitely a, a several degrees difference from where he was in the beginning. Of like, I don't take my helmet off. I don't da 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 And he's sitting there trying to sort this stuff out. He knows he's, he's the, the, the ground is moving beneath his feet. And this man is just trying to manage. So then we get this pirate attack. Um, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm just, Mando can shoot with his left hand. So I, I know he's right-handed, but I'm just like, he's shooting with his left hand. I was like, he, this, this dude can do everything. Um, and we get this amazing Indiana Jones type action sequence. Mando's going toe to toe with people who are essentially, think about it, freedom fighters. Because these guys on the little, you know, hovering carts, they're trying to get the empire out of there. They're the local populace. They are revolutionaries, freedom fighters. And he's against them. Like, our guy is actually on the wrong side, but yet I'm still rooting for Mando because Grogu. This ain't a kid's show. And then, you know, what's great is, like, smart writing again. They had Mando trying to fight like he would normally fight in his best guard, and that little stormtrooper plastic just shreds. And he gets hurt. He gets hurt. And he's got to... But still, he's got to... He figure out... He, he can still throw down in a fight even without the armor. So, so that's showing us, like, yeah... Even if he doesn't have the armor, this guy can still hold his on. His, the armor is not a crutch. He's a skilled warrior who is in love with a Grogu. Oh, it's fascinating. Um, and the and freedom fighters keep coming. It's just like it's just like one card after another. Mando is just so exhausted. It's like he can't even like stand. And then out of nowhere, Tie Fighters show up. Yay! Oh, but wait. That's the empire. I'm on the wrong side of this. You're on the wrong side of this. Mando's on the wrong side of this. But because we've got to save Grogu, we're operating in a super gray area. This is so good, you guys. Like flip the perspective. And when they roll that juggernaut into the little, into the Imperial base, Mando and Mayfield are like the heroes. It reminded me of that scene in Empire where, because um, all the guys are standing around cheering them, all the Imperial guys are standing around cheering them. It reminded me of that scene in Empire where, um, on Hoth, and it's like, and, and the, they're under attack from uh, Darth Vader and, and the Empire's coming in, and you may start your landing. And, um, you know, Imperial troops into the base. Um, all that, that whole scene, the Hoth scene. But there's a point where, uh, there's an announcement over the loudspeakers. The first transport is away. And everyone goes, yay! <laughs> and this scene reminded me of that. And I'm sure that's what they had in mind when they were doing this because these people clearly know what Star Wars is. Um, and so, yeah, all the Imperial people are jazzed. Like, yeah, this is awesome. You showed them. Your villains are always, you know, which, who you perceive as the villain in your story, they are always right in their thinking. They have a perspective, they have a point of view, with what they, and it gets, um, you know, even more specific later on in the ep when, you know, what happens, happens. But um, your villain, they're right. Don't ever think, like, they're not thinking what they're doing is wrong. They're thinking, we're on the right side of this. Like, this is what the world needs. This is what the galaxy needs. So we get in there and of course it's like, we're gonna get to the terminal and get the information. Oh wait, another wrinkle. Um, the terminal has to scan your face. And Mayfield can't do it because he sees someone that's familiar to him and it's like, he's gonna, he's gonna spot me. And, and 
Mando's like, all right, fine, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do it. And this is a little contrived because I'm like, well, it's scanning your face to do what? Because those faces aren't gonna be in like the database. So it's scanning your face just to make sure there's a human there. Like I'm not, I'm not understanding this, the face scanning thing. That's a little contrived, but you still go with it because, or I go with it because Mando goes up to the thing with his helmet on. And this is again, smart. He tries to get the terminal to work with his helmet on. He tries it. So have your characters fail at stuff. And I, I'm guilty of not doing this all the time. Like have them fail at stuff. And then when he sees that he can't scan with the helmet on, he takes it off. And of course he gets spotted. But this, you know, the scan works and he gets the data, but he gets spotted and one of the you know officers comes over as a really southern draw i thought all the imperial officers were british but this guy is like an arkansas draw anyway coming over to mando and um call back to you know mayfield comes in for the save and kind of like because because mando can't function right now he can't he can't even speak hardly because he's he doesn't have his helmet on it's the first person to ever see him with his helmet on in probably like 20 30 years i don't know how long right it would be like one of us in some somewhere like if we, it would be like one of us being in a Starbucks naked, like and trying to interact with you. Like you just could not. You're like he can't even think. He can't even do it. He is just exposed, and he has is like just he's feeling things that he has he hasn't felt ever. So Mayfield comes in for the save, and again going back to that other thing. Like remember I told you in another episode, it's like let me see your eyes. What does Mayfield call Mando? Oh yeah, we just call them brown eyes. I was like, gosh, these guys are like paying attention to what they're doing. Amanda's just so uncomfortable. And they shift over to like, you know, this this table to have this drink with this officer. Um, I thought it was great how they shot Mando, because he's kind of in the shadows a little bit. Like he's he's not he's not totally just lit, he's like half lit. And Mayfell starts talking about Operation Cinder. Clearly he's got some PTSD from that. Um you know, because a lot of people got killed and it was pointless and he's kind of just like engaging with this officer about it. And it, it's just the tension just keeps rising with this dialogue back and forth. And the officer says, everything, everybody thinks they want freedom, but what they really want is order. Wow. Wow, guys. Like for that to be said, again, that is like, a timely current thing to be said. Everybody thinks they want freedom, but what they really want is order. And so this dude kind of lays out the empire's entire plan. Like, you know, we're going to do this and then they're going to come crawling back to us. And then we're going to be back in power and the empire's going to rise again, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's really sad. And it sort of helps me understand how by episode seven, we're back to square one. <laughs> um, but Mayfield's not having it. And even though poor Mando's sitting there just like, Please do don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Um, <laughs> Mayfell shoots the guy, and there's a whole shootout. There's a stormtrooper just with his his tray, just randomly standing there. <laughs> so great. So they have this shootout, and my God, my heart melted because Mayfeld, who has been contentious with Mando in season one, and then was poking him in the juggernaut the whole ride, like questioning his choices. What does Mayfeld do? He picks up the helmet and, and he hands it to Mando and he says, you did what you had to do. I never saw your face. Lord Jesus, this show is good. Lord Jesus. Anyway, so um, 
out on the ledge, the ladies are, are the ladies, uh, Finnick and Cara Dune, they're sniping the hell out of fools. Sniping the hell out of fools. Like, just boom, boom, boom. Just, just very precise and coordinated and organized. You love to see it. Everybody hops on Slave One. At first, I'm thinking Mayfeld, since he's seen his face, maybe he's a goner. He's not going to make it onto the, he's not going to make the jump, but he does. And he turns around, he blows the base up. And he's like, well, we all need to sleep at night. Because he's been wrestling with some stuff. Just layering your characters, right? Because first, first met Mayfeld, we're not thinking like, oh God, this is the, you know, kind of annoying guy, kind of arrogant guy. But it's like, no, he's got a lot. He's got some stuff he's working out. And then Boba Fett does what Boba Fett, you know, does what he does and drops a sonic charge, and blows up TIE fires that are chasing him. Mando sends a message to Gideon using the exact same words that Gideon used on him in season one. You know, he is more important to me than you could ever know. I mean, chilling. But also, very unbounty hunter of him to let someone know you're coming. Like, normally he would operate, like, you know, quietly, I got to go get some, go get somebody. And then, no, he's like, bro, I'm coming for your ass. I'm coming. Like, that's how mad I am. That's how pissed off I am about the kid. I'm going to let you know I'm coming. A bounty hunter, like, bounty hunters don't do that. They're going to sneak in and, like, do what they need to do. They're not going to, you know, announce, oh, I'm coming, you know? Anyway. He has, he has changed. He has changed. So, last episode, guys. Stick with me. We're almost done, I swear. But I just love this stuff so much. So, chapter 16, The Rescue. Um, let's see here. Oh, we, okay. So, we're going to jump this shuttle, you know. So, so random imperial shuttle running around um we're gonna jump the shuttle and then we see the doctor on there turns out he's a clone engineer so i'm like were they using baby yoda's blood to clone stuff? like what is that all i don't know um shuttle pilot is talking a lot of crap about alderaan to cara dune and he gets shot in the face and it was kind of it was just kind of nasty the stuff he was talking about like just just it was just oh just escalated i was like dude what are you doing right here anyway he got shot um and then we have some and then we, uh, you know, of course, we got to keep building the team. So Mando's like, all right, let me go back to the blue Mandalorians, ask them if they can help. I don't know what happened to the dude, the dude blue Mandalorian. He's gone, like MIA. But we had two women there, Bo-Katan and the other chick. I don't know her name. And there's a lot of Mandalorian infighting um, over, like, whether Boa Fett is really a Mandalorian or he's actually a clone and I know your voice. And, like, it was just, a, I was like, Okay, can we? I guess we can't all get, get along. It was just some drama between them. Bo-Katan makes it clear, it's like she wants the dark sword, and then afterwards, when they, you know, take it, she wants the cruiser because she's trying to reclaim Mandalore. Mando's like, whatever, I need your help. Just help me get the kid. Like, I don't care about Mandalore. I don't care about the dark saber. I just want this boy. We get a planning scene where we get the general geography of the ship they're about to get on. We get on the cruiser. Um, immediately there's like a ticking clock because as they're advancing then Moff Gideon's like activate the dark troopers and then it's like but it takes them a little while for the dark troopers to I don't know, turn their battery on I don't know <laughs> it takes a little bit to spin up but it just adds tension to it it's like oh boy here it comes they, you know, they're, they're doing oh now the levels are rising the red okay um, Mando goes for the kid the rest of them go for the bridge and Mando gets uh, 
he gets toward he's you know he's, he's trying to get towards the kid one dark trooper makes it out of the little charging dock that they live in we get a fight and we pay off that he's now got that beskar spear well, isn't that handy right isn't that handy to use so he's picked up little like things along his adventure to help him like the jetpack and the beskar spear and you know, so it did. It, it just doesn't all just show up randomly like the same episode that you need to have it. It's layered in, guys. So good. So uh, apparently, whoever has the dark sword can claim the Mandalorian throne. And again, Mando's like, because he comes in, he finds uh, Grogu at knife point, at dark sword point, if you will, under um, Moff Gideon. And Mando's like, bro, the saber, a Mandalore, I don't care. I just want this kid. And we almost get like this classic lightsaber fight between Mando and Moff Gideon. Like he's got the Beskar spear. Uh, Gideon has the dark sword and they're going back and forth. But not too long because we want to keep, we, they keep the episode moving. It's not like freaking Revenge of the Sith and we're like fighting for hours. Obi-Wan and Anakin on the lava planet. Like that was just happening all over for hours. He beats Moff Gideon because ain't nobody no match for, for Mando, especially if he's got that Beskar spear. You ain't, you ain't nothing. So beats him. And then Mando walks on the bridge holding Grogu in one hand and that dark saber in the other. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the most gorgeous sight I've seen on TV in a long time. Um, but yeah, they're all on the bridge and now dark troopers that were blown, that Mando had previously blown out into the atmosphere while well, they hit their jet engines and they flew themselves back in and Gideon is sitting there talking all this crap. <laughs> you know, you got, you had your hands full with one. Now it's a whole platoon is coming and it's like tons of buildup as these, as these, um, as these troopers are coming back, you know, making their way back toward the bridge and, you know, oh my goodness, they're punching through the doors and Gideon's talking all this crap. And then there was also this little exchange about the dark sword because freaking Mando's like, here, take the sword, Bo-Katan. I don't want it. And she, and it's like, no, you, I have to win it from you in combat. And, and, and honestly, for me, I was kind of like, I don't need to hear. I was like, I'm not, in, I'm not invested in any of that Mandalore stuff right now, the sword stuff. I'm not invested in any of that right now. I'm invested in like getting, getting Grogu out of here. Like that's all... I'm, I care about. Um, but yeah, they're having that whole fight about swords, like whatever. X-Wing shows up. Grogu immediately kind of perks, like, huh? Okay, the X-Wing, all right. And you see that and you're kind of like, huh, I wonder who that could be. And then you see a cloak figure in the hallway with a green lightsaber. And then you're thinking, huh? I wonder who that could be. And then I see, you know, Grogu's kind of like getting attached to this cloak figure. He's on the monitors and putting his hands on the monitors. And then we go and we see the Jedi is cutting through, cutting through these dark troopers like paper. But he's got a glove on one hand. And that's when I'm like, oh, sugar, honey, iced tea. I know who this is. Lord, I know who this is. Um, Grogu's connecting with this person on the, on the monitor and finally, you know, they let him in cloak comes off. And of course it's Luke Skywalker 
a CGI Luke Skywalker. Um, yeah, this, this, this to me, um, this whole scene, and I'm going to talk about Luke in a second, but I want to focus on the whole, the, the part of the scene that got me the most was this exchange between Mando and Grogu. Like, if this doesn't get you in wherever, like in the heart, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to say. Because every time I watch this scene, I get choked up and emotional. This man, this hardened bounty hunter, is like saying goodbye to this kid. The kid is attached to him. He's attached to the kid. Looking for permission to go off with this Jedi because they know that's the right path. And it hurts to say goodbye. It hurts. It's hurting both of them. And this man who has swore like to never show his face to anyone takes his helmet off and Grogu touches his face and Mando kind of softens under the touch and I'm telling y'all like I told you in the beginning Star Wars is a feeling this is feelings this is a connection between two people and the whole two seasons that's built to this one moment right here of Grogu touching this man's face and it meaning so much. This dude has not had anyone touch his face in probably, what, 20 years. And credit to Pedro Pascal because he was flawless. But I, Star Wars is back. When I saw, I saw that and I was like, oh my God, it's back. All right, so... And it's in terms of the helmet thing, remember how earlier I went off about he showed his face in a season, season one and it was like 20 seconds and he's all banged up and it's like, why did they do that? I know why they did that now. Because if, for, for, if I was seeing this dude's face for the first time when it was the Grogu goodbye, it I would have been like, oh God, um, what? it would have been distracting. But no, I've seen his face two times already. So now, now I see it, it's like, Okay, this is the third time. Rule of threes. When we talk about them screenwriting all the time, rule of threes. So first time, it was the droid taking his helmet off. It was kind of like non-consensual, like a technicality. Well, actually, I'm not a living thing. Second time he takes the helmet off is because Mando has to scan his face to get the data when he's in the Imperial base. But the third time this man takes his helmet off is because he chooses to. Y'all, come on. Y'all, come on. It's so good. Um, uh, about Luke. Um, if I have any critique of the scene, and I try not to focus on, you know, it's just they, they had the wrong era of Luke that they CGI'd, right? And I almost, I almost you know, they could have recast that part. I guess they didn't want to, but I'm like, um, look, that, that's not the right era of Luke. That was like Empire Strikes Back Luke face. What you needed was like, Return of the Jedi, a little bit more weathered, a couple more lines on the face, and add five years to that, Luke. You know, a little bit more damaged, Luke. That, that Luke was too pristine, but that's the CGI of it all, so what it is. And, I mean, I try not to get caught up in the R2-D2 of it all, because R2 comes in, and then him and Grogu had, like, this interface, and I'm like, well, just because that, I guess R2's thinking he's Yoda. I don't know what's going on, but I was like, I don't need any of this. I am on Mando... Sorry, I'm on Mando and I'm on Grogu. Like, that is everything to me. 
That's the show. It's all been building to this. Him choosing to take that helmet off because he is so connected with another person. Something he's never had before. It's amazing. Um, so listen, I, the, to me, The Mandalorian is one of the best examples of masculinity that I've seen on television since probably Coach Taylor and Friday Night Lights. If you know that show, you know what I'm talking about. And you men out there, you sit around, you're wondering, well, what do women want? What is, what is it? What is it? You know, they want. Well, it's, it's actually this guy. It's The Mandalorian. This is what we want. Um, you don't have to, you know, I'm not expecting you, you know, I don't need you out fighting people or for, for, you don't, we don't need fisticuffs, but this guy is honorable and he's moving his way. He's work. He's working stuff out. He's doing his best to stick to his principles. And when he feels like he has to move off him, he does. Is he perfect? No, but man, is he a protector? You know, and the other thing I'll say about him is how he works with women as equals. He ain't trying to creep on these women he's dealing with, the Cara Dunes, the Phoenix, any of these chicks he's dealing with on this show. He's not like, oh, yeah, none of that. He ain't trying to holler. He's not above, like, being gathered up by somebody. Like, the fish lady was like, I'm going to get you together right here. You need to go do what you need to do. Get out there and fix this shit. He accepts it. He could have been like, uh, you know, he could have stabbed her right. He could have stabbed her right in the heart and not thought twice about it. He's like, no, nah, he's, he's willing to be, I, he, he'll see his flaws and get himself together. He's working a lot of stuff out with himself. So he's like introspective, working out things with his creed. This is what we want. This is the, this is what we want. This is the best example of masculinity I've seen in a long time. This show. So where do we go from here? You know, I mean, we, we, we know there's going to be season three. <laughs> we don't know when it's going to be. Um, I, I, I have questions in terms of Grogu because I'm like, okay, he wasn't in episode seven, eight, nine. So what happens to Grogu between now and then? Like, I'm concerned already. I do worry about the show's story engine going forward because Grogu was found in episode one and that's been kind of what, like, what's been propelling us forward, like getting Grogu from here to there, you know? Um, what is Mando going to do? Is he going to like go, well, one, is he going to put his helmet back on? Are any other people in that room going to see his face? Because now we've had Luke Skywalker see his face, Grogu see his face, um, uh, Mayfeld seen his face. I thought, you know, we told in the beginning, hey, you take the, if someone sees your face, you can't put the helmet back on again. Can you put the helmet back on again? I, I mean, I don't, I have so many questions, which is good. But I, I do worry about, you know, not having Grogu as the engine because what can this guy go back to? He can't just go back to bounty hunting. He's changed. He's altered. He's a different person. He's not even the same dude we met in episode one. Oh, so all things to think about. Um, so maybe we'll see a glimpse of him in Book of Boba Fett, which comes out December 29th. I personally, I'm not a big Boba Fett fan. I know all you fanboys out there are like Boba Fett this, Boba Fett that, Boba Fett in my dreams and Boba Fett come back and Boba Fett like, like is my life. I've never felt that way about Boba Fett. When Boba Fett died in Return of the Jedi, I was fine with him dying. I was like moving on. And I'm so comfortable with the Mando of it all. That I'm like, okay, Boba Fett, whatever. I'm, I'm with this Mando dude now. I'm, I'm invested in his story. So 
I don't know what this Boba Fett show is going to be. I'll watch it. Maybe if I'm, if it hits me in the feelings like this, this show does, I'll come back and talk to you all about it and I'll be wrong yet again, as I've been wrong about some stuff on this show. So, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this, my ramblings about the show that I'm obsessed with. I love it so much. It's so well done. The people care. Everyone involved cares. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can reach me on Twitter at Linnell White. That's L-Y-N-E-L-L-E-W-H-I-T-E. Uh, you can also follow Screenwriters Rant Room on Twitter. That's Screenwriters RR. Um, be sure to leave a five-star review for the show. It helps people find it and it helps with the matri uh, matrix. <laughs> helps with the metrics. <laughs> uh, and be sure to sh support the show's uh, Patreon page. And with that, I'll say goodbye for now. Stay safe, stay sane, and I will see you all hopefully in 2022. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.